Hi, and you're listening to NRI Woman, the show where we chat with women of Indian origin living abroad. I'm Bettina. And I'm Nanora. We'd like to caution our listeners that this episode contains discussion about childhood sexual abuse and rape, which some of our listeners may find distressing. The year 2017 was defined by the Me Too movement. For the first time, the magnitude of all kinds of sexual assault was brought up for the world to see. And this time, there were so many more voices, it was a force to be reckoned with. Often discussions on sexual assault and rape are peppered with words such as inappropriate behavior or misconduct, which downplays the pain of the experience. Joining us today to share her story as a survivor of rape is Karina Calver. She's a high school teacher and also a trauma and relationship counselor based in Hong Kong. Even though Karina and her family lived in Hong Kong, she grew up with a very traditional upbringing. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> very, very basic, yeah. I swear, it was it's all about like, um, you know, I used to hate learning how to cook. So it was all about like making sure that I, w- I, I could marry a good Indian boy by knowing how to cook. Like that was the super most important thing. Um, and I used to hate that, you know. Uh, my daddy mom was so cute. She would, whenever she came to Hong Kong to visit, because she used to live in Japan. And it was like, her main task was to make sure I could cook well. And if I couldn't, she'd be like so upset, you know, but like she would never show that. She'll be like, if you need to learn. And she just had a way with her, with, she had a way with things and knowing how to persuade me and yet be a really good leader. So it was amazing. But I still hate it. I still do it because I wanted her approval. Um, it was just crazy things. Like I never questioned. I kind of did, but I didn't. Like I noticed how, because uh, I was the only daughter in the family. So I have one brother and my daughter has got three boys. So like there was a lot of pressure of how I had to live my life and, you know, that I had to marry young and all that kind of stuff. And none of which I did, but like, it was almost like if I didn't do that, I didn't feel like I was a good Indian daughter. And I always felt like, why was it I had, why is it that I had to do all these things, but the boys did it? Do you know what I mean? And it's not like my other cousins didn't, but I never saw that because they lived in Japan. So it's the fact that there was just a lot of pressure as an Indian girl to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to dress a certain way. You know what I mean? It's all of that that I was just like, whoa, you know, what, what does that say? And I, I you know, I, at some point I did ask, like, why is it my brother can sit and he doesn't have to clean the table, for instance? And I had to. And they're like, because you're a girl. And that was, what was funny was that that was, enough of an answer whereas today you know if anyone told a girl that they'd be like i'm sorry what you clean like that's like pure gender inequality right there but back then we were fine with gender inequality which is fascinating so yeah karina's parents married via arranged marriage when they were really young karina's mom grew up in indonesia and her dad in japan after getting married they moved to hong kong where they began their new family Karina and her brother were both born in Hong Kong and schooled there. And she was still in primary school when her traumatic experience at home began. When I was, I don't know, five or between five to seven. Um, and I don't actually have a specific as to how it started. I, it, it was definitely very subtle. It was things from like getting physically closer, you know, whether it's from hugging to, to more. Um, so I would be, we had a three bedroom apartment and I'd be in my own bed. And it was very sort of uh, a common ritual where he'd come to my bedroom on a Sunday morning and I had a single bed, so it's really small. He would come and like lie down next to me and read his paper and have his tea. 
And I didn't think twice about it because it's was, it was just normal. And it was just him very gradually, it's almost like manipulation, very gradually moved from what was appropriate touch to inappropriate touch, you know? And it happened so naturally that I didn't even notice it was happening. You know what I mean? And then that's kind of when it escalated. The man Karina is talking about here is her biological father. Karina was around five or maybe younger when the sexual assault began. She didn't know or understand it at the time. And this went on for years before Karina actually realized she was raped. I knew that something was off. Um, there were a few incidents. So one was when, so <laughs> this is really odd. My mom was very anti-sex. And I think that comes with maybe the culture where women don't own their sexual uh, sexuality. They don't own their body. And so my mom was not, um, she was not big on sex. And so she would never, she would deliberately sleep in my bedroom, uh, making it impossible for me to sleep in my own room. And so I would end up having to sleep with my dad. And that's kind of where it all started. But how did I know this was wrong was when on some occasions, when I'd get up from having slept in her room with her husband and her giving me the dirty looks and treating me really differently. And that's when I knew something wasn't right. But I didn't understand and put two and two together. And then when I was older, so when I say older, I was in high school. And there was one teacher who took a special interest in me. I don't mean, I mean it in the sense that uh, she really went out and cared for me. Um, and she just, you know, she wanted to talk to me about school-related stuff because I was kind of like... Um, just being a bit of a brat in one of my one of the lessons um, that wasn't taught by her, but you know, because she was our homeroom teacher, so she you know she just cared. And so um, she asked me to stay back at one uh, after it was an art or literature lesson. So I did, and we had a chat. And from talking about academics, it went on to talk about my own personal life. And so when I told her what was happening at home. Her reaction told me everything. So I, I probably almost needed a confirmation from an adult that this wasn't right. Because back then I was very shy. I was an introvert. Um, I was super timid. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't voice out anything. Even when I was bullied in school, I wouldn't say anything to anyone, let alone my parents. So even if I knew something wasn't right, and I probably did, I didn't have anyone to confirm that with until when I when I spoke to her, when I spoke to Ms. Dobbs. And um, her reaction told me everything. She, was, she kind of freaked out and she's like, you know, I want you to come and live with me. Uh, we need to call the cops. And she just kind of went crazy because obviously she knew the severity of the problem. I did it. I mean, I did, but I did it. And so that's kind of when it hit me that, oh my God, you know? And then uh, that was, yeah, that's kind of like the first sort of real realization I had. That was the first time I actually spoke about it with, you know, to someone. Karina had spoken to someone about this for the first time. While the teacher offered Karina support and reassured her that she had her back, Karina was not ready to deal with any of it yet. She was afraid, and so the rape continued, and only stopped much later. It was in my 20s. Um, early 20s for sure. I don't, I'm not sure if it was a 21 or whatever. Yeah, so it's around about then. And then a couple of years after, my dad left. Because he's got another family, basically. 
and so he he chose his other family over us and so he left for the Philippines and the sad part was he also left us with nothing like we were basically from having uh, a good lifestyle to having nothing to fall back on financially um, and that's why we were in Indonesia my mom and I were in Indonesia for about 10 months until I realized man I cannot live here this place is it's not for me you know um, and so I decided to come back to Hong Kong and start all over again my brother was here the whole time and he had a job uh, but that still wouldn't wouldn't do it for us like financially so but I just I took a leap of faith and I'm like I can't do this I can't live with someone else like I was living with my nanny and, and my uncle and everything but I just I'm, I can't do that that just because I, I still felt suffocated I felt like I was living my life and I was tired of being controlled by men so I was like no I can't do this or by anyone for that matter I just wanted to be, take I wanted to take ownership of my own life and so I spoke to my grandpa my father uh, and he's always been like a dad figure I called him in, in Spain that time and I said I want to do this I just need your blessing he's like you've always got Mama and Art and my blessings if you want to go back then do it you know we know it's going to be hard but and we can't help you financially because they lost a lot of money over what my dad did um but if you feel strongly about this then just go ahead you know follow your heart and that's what i did and i've never looked back since it's been the best life decision ever corina had to rebuild her life literally after moving back to hong kong she went to university had to work to sustain herself and had to do all this while trying to heal from the years of abuse and basically having to reinvent the wheel. So I, I started getting help when I went to university. And I went to university really late because, again, in my family, if you're a girl, then, then the thing you do is finish high school. Well, they didn't even want me to finish high school, and that's another story, uh, is to get married, you know? So because the younger you are, you're moldable. You know, your in-laws can tell you whatever. So I didn't go to uni until 28. And that's simply because my parents split up a couple of years before that. And so I almost had a bit more power over my own life. Um, and that's when I went to school. And so when I went back to uni, that's when um, I studied in HKU in Hong Kong. And so it's a lot more affordable to get therapy. So that's when I first started getting here. I mean, I did, the crazy thing was I did dab into all this other stuff like Reiki and physiology and um, I don't know, like past life regression. I, I tried everything, but I think I didn't have the balls to go and see a shrink because I had this, you know, old school mentality um, that seeing a shrink means something was wrong with me, you know? But um, I realized, no, man, there is something wrong. And it's because of something that was done to me. And I, if I don't sort it out, it could, you know, it'll ruin my life. And of course, it's still, I didn't quite understand it. Like, I didn't, while I was getting therapy, it still didn't hit home. Um, and there's still a lot of more work to do. But yeah, that was, that was the first attempt. Since then, Karina has worked on herself every day to rebuild her life and shift the role from being victim to survivor. All survivors. And I don't use the word victim because I don't think, well, during that process when it happens, yes, you're a victim. But the fact that you're still alive, 
and you're living each day and you're st struggling through, that in itself makes you a survivor. I, I went back to therapy again uh, six years ago. Just, yeah. Um, and it was, it was probably for like uh, half a year um, just to reconnect and understand what happened. But also I wanted to know if there was anything left undealt with because I was, one thing I'm very, that was really important to me is making sure that when I started a new chapter in my life, i.e. Uh, I was going to get engaged to get married, I wanted to make sure there was no residue. Of course, it's always going to be residue, but to the point where I meant um, that it wasn't going to affect um, anything I'm aware of. You know what I mean? So I wanted to just touch base with my therapist and check that I was clean, like a clean slate, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, kind of uh, what I, you know, why I did that. This period of therapy before getting married was important for Karina. She had to know that she was prepared to be in a relationship as an equal and a partner because the years of abuse had messed up her idea of men and her own worthiness. So like basically being a virgin is like so important for, for any Indian girl, especially. I'm not saying it's not for any other. And so while I was being great, I thought I was being molested because he kept saying to me, this is really important for you. It is your, it's your job to make a man happy. And, and at the same time, he would drill about the fact that I was a virgin when I wasn't. Like, I didn't know any better. So I, I almost had two very contradicting um, things being said to me. And when I was talking to my therapist, and, and this is like, I don't know, about six years ago. And when I was talking to my therapist and I told her about it, uh, so we went through the whole, what actually took place in the bedroom uh, with my dad. And she's just like, you understand that this is when there's penetration. And if it's, if it's forced, you know that that is great, right? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, okay, so talk me through what your dad did. And I did, yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. You know, and then I, I literally froze and that's when it hit me. And I was just like, whoa, because I, I dated so many guys, but I never allowed myself to have sex because this, this rule about, oh my God, you're a daisy girl and being a virgin is like, it's the most important thing. If you don't, no guy wants you and you're like a reject, you're like a slut, da 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 da. And I was drilled for so long about this that I felt like if I did sleep with a guy, it would have been the worst thing ever. Whereas that's not even the case. But the most stupidest thing was he actually took that away from me before I even knew it, you know? And, and that's when it hurt me so much. I never thought too much about it until a lot later in my life, you know? And then it made, all, it made so much sense to me as an adult when I had trust issues with them. Not so much trust issues. In a sense, I, was, I, was, I, had a, I dated a lot. But when I had trust issues in the sense that I wasn't able to commit to them completely. So I almost had an expiry date in my head. Like if they did not get serious with me by a certain time, then I'd be like, nah, this is too flaky, I'm out. Do you know what I mean? So so it subconsciously I had this programming that men were assholes. I don't know if I can swear, but um and so that they wouldn't commit to me that and at the same time, I also felt like I wasn't good enough for a good guy, so why the hell would they commit to me? So there was all these so-called unspoken rules I had in my subconscious, and I didn't realize it. Karina was stuck in a muddle of feelings, 
On the one hand, she felt love, affection, and an implicit trust towards her father. And on the other hand, she knew he was a selfish perpetrator who had betrayed her trust. When she realized the extent to which she was manipulated by her dad, her first reaction was absolute rage, and she confronted him. He accepted what he had done and apologized. But this is not something an apology could fix. And once the rage had calmed down, Karina had a choice to make. So I sat down and I thought about it. And that's when therapist was really important at that stage of my life, was to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Did I want revenge? Or did I want to work in, did I want to go through an inward journey and heal from this so I could be the woman I want to be? So I chose the latter because I knew that if I started the whole court case, this would take a couple of years, if not more. So, and also because he doesn't live in Hong Kong, so there's all these com- complexities to deal with. Um, and of course, finance too, right? Getting a lawyer and all that kind of stuff. So I was thinking about it in the practical sense and also thinking about it from what I deserve, you know? Did I want to let this man again ruin the next God knows how many years or did I want to take ownership now? I can try and work with what I know and change my life. And so I did that. Karina focused on herself and her healing. She found the courage to share her ordeal with her close family and her mother. At the time, her mother refused to acknowledge or take any responsibility for what had happened, and she still hasn't admitted it. Her mother has chosen to place the blame elsewhere. While it's not been easy for Karina to understand her mother's reactions, she recognizes that this is not her battle and it is something her mother must figure out on her own. For now, Karina continues her journey without her parents in her life as she chooses to surround herself with people who lift her up. One such person who has been that and an inspirational role model for her is her paternal grandmother, her dadi. I love that woman. I love her. She was a tough cookie, man. She was, um, she was very strong as a woman, super strong, especially for, during that time. Um, and you needed her approval for many things. But we had this funny joke in the family, especially among the grandkids, we used to call her headquarters. Uh, meaning like, whatever you wanted to do, she had to approve, you know, you had to get the stamp of okay. Um, but it's, it's a sweet joke because I feel like she has been such a positive influence because she shows me, even though she's from like, you know, 30s, 40s, she shows me uh, what a woman can be. You know, she wasn't educated, but she was very composed. She could also be a fashionista, but she can also have a mind of her own. She can be respected, and yet she had charisma. Like she had everything, the balance of the yin and the yang. And when I look at her, I mean, she's passed away a few months ago, but when I when I look at her in my mind, when I think of her, I think of the woman I want to become. And I hope one day I can be a bit more like her, you know, with, with each day, with each year. Because she knew how to own it. She owned herself, you know. Like when she was, when she was um, sick, um, I went to see her in Christmas. Um, and, and she was kind of like bed-bound-ish. I mean, yeah, she could, you know, wheel around a little bit. But she was so okay, comfortable to have her grandkids give her a bed bath 
and scrub her and you know and all of it whereas now that I've just broken a foot there is I'm not I'm so self-reliant that my ego is that strong where I'm like oh my god I can't I have to have someone serve me so now I'm dependent on someone and I it made me realize and revisit my grandma all over again that she was okay with the fact and letting go of her ego when she knew that she needed to be taken care of and a woman like her who was very strong and did, did everything by herself even though when she was in her 80s she always moved around she you know she was a strong woman so to see her make that turnaround and be okay and be comfortable to have people take care of her that that was huge for me to look at you know and see how she didn't let anything it didn't change who she was. She showed me her vulnerable side and she was embracing that. She showed me her strong side and she was embracing that. And she couldn't have been a better inspiration to my life. Like her grandmother has been an inspiration in her life, Karina hopes to inspire other survivors to help them know that they can have a life they want and they are not defined by the actions of others towards them. She hopes to share this through her memoir, A Girl's Faith, which will be released in January 2019. Uh, it's about my life story. So it the center of the whole book, even though it is about the rape, but it's more about how my grandma, Juanina, was my biggest strength in in seeing through not the rape as, itself, but seeing through how I have the strength in me to get through everything. And so my book is all about how I found myself, but also the kind of struggles I went through in terms of dating, in terms of self-confidence in terms of femininity and, and a whole range of things and also the person I've become over the years and sort of I now feel really empowered but I also feel a balance of the yin and yang in me. This balance has been years in the making and a work in progress. The first step towards finding that balance though was accepting what had happened. I think it was it was it was when um, I would no longer was afraid when I was no longer afraid to say I've been raped and I'm I'm fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's I think the more I've talked about it, um, because I realized it doesn't define me. And when I was shy to talk about it, or when I was, when I felt that this would hinder relationships with men or hinder me as a person. And when I was able to see through that fact that it doesn't hinder me in any way. And when I was able to see through that, that's when I realized that it's, yeah, okay, it happened. I can't change that. But I'm still me and I'm still a fabulous person. There isn't one plan that works for all. But Karina feels some of these may help other survivors of sexual assault. There's a lot of things. One, I'll be like, it's not your fault. Definitely, definitely, definitely not your fault. So you don't have to carry that burden with you. Because when you think it's, because you know, sometimes in your head you go, you overanalyze and think, okay, did I allow it? Did I say or do something? So it's like dropping all of those mind games that goes on in our heads and saying, you know what, you know, this was not your fault. And then second is going, talk about it to yourself. Because I've caught, I know how much I talk about it with myself a lot you know what I mean and one of my ways was writing I would since I was a kid I've always 
uh, turned to my my journal, my diary, as a, as a means to write, to release. And then I used to write a lot of poetry. And then hence, now it's, and then it became a blog and now a memoir. But my point is, that was a, a really good tool um, to get it out of my system. So, you know, for me, writing worked. But what I meant, what I really mean is getting it out by talking about it. So it's really acknowledging that this happened. You're, you've done the fact that you've done the, the stage of not blaming yourself and knowing that this is not your fault and then you've acknowledged and then take the next step of seeking help. And I don't mean help in therapists, that's super important, but I mean help by finding someone that you trust to talk about, ideally an adult. So I turned to Ms. Dobbs, my high school teacher. So finding someone you're connected with and you can talk about who you know has got your back and who will believe in your story. It doesn't mean that they can, you know, fix it because no one can, but at least they've got your back. And that's the third thing. And then fourth is together maybe with, with that person that you've shared with, you might be able to find the right person, the professional, to get you through this journey. So yeah. Those are the four things I think are really important. It's it's a shift in the mind and saying, yes, this happened, but this does not define me. At some moments it will feel, and yes, it will feel that it has defined me. And I, I totally can relate to that. But that too will pass. You know what I mean? And it's knowing in your mind time and time again that this experience is not my whole life. And it does not have to be like that. So it's that constant reminder. Working with yourself through the tools you get through therapy that will get you through, you know, each day. And, and before you know it, you know, you, you're, you'll feel like, you know, you're normal. Like when I say normal, like you'll feel like, okay, that, that happened and, and I'm okay. It may not be possible to prevent all assaults, but better education and an understanding of consent will hopefully help children speak up and reduce the number of assaults. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I think educate everyone. Um, I think it starts from as little as they can, you know? Because the thing is, kids are constantly being taken care of by adults, right? So they need to know what is a good touch, what's a bad touch. But they also need to know things like, I'm the boss of my body. Do you know what I mean? Things like that, like, like simple phrases. So that when someone touches them, they don't like it. They're like, no, but I'm the boss of my body. And therefore, this is not okay, you know? Um, I, and I feel like, yes, it's important to teach men because, you know, like whether it's the father, the brother, the grandfather, the uncle, whoever have you, right? Men are always going to be around children in the same way that women are. So they need to understand that Kids need to know, they need to know about what a consent means. They need to understand that you, that no one, no individual should be touched without being asked. You know, it's like, what? Hello, this is my body. No one owns it but me, so back off. And that should be said and can be said. You know, so I'm all about it. The whole subject of rape, incest, and sexual abuse is an uncomfortable one to talk about for most people. Without that conversation, there isn't enough knowledge about how to react or help when someone shares their story. Karina shares where she thinks is a good place to start. If you're the one that the person turns to for help. I think just listen to the story that's being presented in front of you. Put your opinions aside. 
And it's your opinion. It's not the truth, right? Listen to the story that's in front of you and then support and be there. Because I feel like a lot of times, a lot of girls feel like they need to be heard. They need to feel like someone's there for them. That they can, when they open their mouth and share that story, it takes a whole lot of courage. Oh my God, it's one of the most hardest things to do. And when they do that, and when they don't get the comfort they need, and they don't have someone saying, I have your back, wow, it's, it's, it's shattering. Because then they realize, oh my God, this is it. I can't talk about it. Like, no one trusts me. Maybe I really made this up, da, 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 da. you know what I mean? And they'll dig deeper into that hole. So I feel it's so important for someone to just go, like for any adult, especially in the family setting, right, to go, yeah, okay, I, I, you know, I hear you and I believe you and we're going to sort this out. Like really taking a proactive approach because that's, especially in India, that's so lacking. Or, or even in Indian communities overseas, that's definitely lacking. While we need to develop a culture where we believe survivors, there also exists a shared discomfort to talk about sex. As Indian women, it's not something we talk about and certainly not something we chat about openly. I think so. It's funny, I've been having a couple of friends who've been telling me that they're starting to talk about sex um, with their friends um, in terms of like, you know, even even if you're in a relationship or you're married, um, some Indian women are not comfortable to tell their partner what they want in bed or what, ple- you know, what they consider to be more pleasurable. Because we've been, we've been raised to believe that that's the man's role that you just lie there. At least that's what I was raised with. That you just lie there. But I think that the moment we're able to talk about it, even with one friend, then we're starting to be a lot more comfortable in just talking about sex in general. And I think it's these subtle things that we we need to change what happens in a household. So that when a girl is growing up, she doesn't have to be embarrassed when she looks at her own vagina. When you're not embarrassed, then you want to understand it in the same way that you want to understand every other part of your body. See what I'm saying? So I feel that, so my way of approaching this is not just, while it is also about how women talk about it in terms of embracing sex and not making that a taboo, it's also about how we instill that value in a family dynamic so that the girls growing up have a more positive image of vagina, their own vagina. Yeah. So I feel like coming out and talking about it is, for I mean, personally, I feel like it's one as well as on a professional level, it is so powerful. And and when we can address that better, we can then understand that sex is definitely something that we can enjoy. It's not only for men, you know, it is for us too. We deserve that pleasure in the same token. Personally, Karina feels she's living the life she wants. She has a wonderful husband, lives on a small island in Hong Kong away from the city's hustle, is a vegan, a Buddhist, and is surrounded by people who enrich her life. But most importantly, she's content and happy. On the professional level, she thinks there is much to be achieved. I don't think my rape happened for nothing. I feel it happened for me to be an ambassador to bring change. So seeing change would be my life mission and that would be why i'm here i want to break the star i want india to be how i see india in my mind 
See, I've never lived there, but I'm very basic at heart. And I want that to change. I want women to not worry when they go out at night that their, their dress choice is not their fault, that they can wear however they please, you know? Um, I want that shift to happen in India. I want schools to talk about gender equality. I want women to feel that they're just as entitled to whatever, whether it's a career advancement or whether they choose to get married or not. I don't want, you know, I don't want a kid to be aborted just because she's a girl. You know, things like that. So I want equal, I want women to be an equal footing as men because we deserve it. So that's what I want. And it's going to happen. <laughs> One of our favorite quotes comes from Maya Angelou. If one is lucky, a solitary fantasy can totally transform one million realities. And we hope Karina gets to be that lucky one. Join us again next time for more inspiring stories of NRI women. If you like the show, please recommend this to a friend and don't forget to rate us as it helps other people find us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at hello at nriwoman.com or Twitter at NRI underscore woman. And stay tuned for highlights from the next episode at the end of the show. You can see and learn more about the amazing women we chat with on our Facebook page or website, www.nriwoman.com. I'm Lenora. And I'm Bettina. Until next time, keep learning, keep inspiring and be kind. Next week on NRI Woman. If you if you don't take care of yourself, you're no good to anybody else. And in our society, we are made to feel guilty, especially women. We are made to feel guilty that we are taking care of ourselves first. But if we do not take care of ourselves first, we cannot take care of anybody else. New episodes come out every Monday. Make sure you subscribe.